All right, all right, all right. Best hour of their day is back. And I'm excited to have my good friend, Kevin Ogar, on today's episode. A lot of you know Kevin. He was in an accident a couple years ago, and there's a documentary on him and his journey out of his accident and onto seminar staff. And if you want to learn more about that, there's plenty out there. That wasn't the goal of this episode. The goal of this episode was to focus on some of the amazing things Kevin has done recently, and it has a lot to do with coaching adaptive athletes, because Kevin is not only a part of the CrossFit seminar staff, but he's a part of the adaptive seminar staff as well, and he actually taught me some great lessons during this interview. For example, there's a big difference between scaling and adapting, and I was unaware of that, and Kevin taught me all about it. He taught me how to learn how to adapt different workouts for different people. And the truth is, it was pretty cool because it just comes down to being a good person, being more human, talking with your athletes, getting to know them, and ultimately showing them that you care. And that was the big message that Kevin got to me. And I hope that is also given to you guys. Care, 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 care. And that's where it all starts. That's the foundation of being a good coach and not just being a good coach, but being a good human being. So I'm super, super excited about this episode. You're going to learn so much from Kevin Ogar. And the other thing I'd recommend is check out that adaptive seminar. I've not done it yet, but after talking with Kevin, it is part of my goal list for 2019. So maybe I will see you there. And in the meantime, enjoy this episode of Best Hour of Their Day. All right, we're live here with Kevin Ogar. Kevin, I'm going to give you a brief introduction. You ready for it? Absolutely. All right, you said to say some weird guy in a in a wheelchair, but I think you're a little bit more than that. <laughs> not much, not much, but a little bit. Let me see if I, if I can get some things. Founder and owner of CrossFit Watchtower that's out in Colorado. Um, mm-hmm. Founder of the Reveille Project. Yes, and- sir. Amongst other things, you're on the level one seminar crew as well as the adaptive seminar crew. And that's really what I want to chat about today. But did I miss anything? Um, I, don't, I don't think so. That's basically what I do all the time. That's about it. Joe Westerlin would probably have thrown in like King of the Gingers, something like that. I mean, I, I don't burn if I go out in the sun. So I, I, I may be the King of the Gingers. You know, I'll, I'll wear that crown. I'll take that burden. Is it? Is ginger PC? Like, are you allowed to say ginger? I don't know. I'm not a very PC guy. I say ginger, so I, I assume everyone else. I would rather you say ginger with a um, with a positive connotation to it, like a positive meaning behind it, rather than like I don't know anything else with like a negative connotation. I, I like the term and fine with it. I think that's a pretty good rule of life. Really, it depends yeah. on the uh, intent of the word, right? It, I could say uh, yeah. ginger as a term of endearment. Like you are my large ginger friend. Yeah, I mean, I think I think intent is way more important than the actual word said. Yeah, because then I could be like, "Yo, ginger," and that's yeah. negative. All right. Well, I hope well, I, didn't. I mean, no, you didn't. Me, like we we. I'll ju- I call it the adaptive athletes that come to my gym cripples, and it's a term of endearment. But, you know, like if I call them cripples, it's nice. But if I call them a stupid cripple or like anything like uh, where the intense mean, I think that's where it starts to get kind of dicey in what you say. 
Actually, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. I was having this, I posted this on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. I was talking with Roz about it. So let's let's talk about uh, handicapped things, right? So yep. there's handicapped parking spots. Okay. I think any, what do we go, what, able-bodied? Is that the PC word for me? Yeah, that's what we, yep, able-bodied. All right. You know, I would never park in a handicapped parking spot. That's like against the rules. There's no debate. Don't do it. Correct? Yep. Is, yep. There, ever, so, is there ever a time to do it? Um, if you have someone who's with you who who needs it. So, like, the, the, the main part of those spots isn't like um, – I think most people think they're for convenience. And so we don't have to like walk or roll so far, but the main point of those spots is those little stripe lines. So I can't, I can't actually, if I park in a, an, a regular spot, I can't get my wheelchair out of my car because I need the full opening of my door to actually get in and out. So if but, someone parks too close to me, I'm stuck in my, stuck in my car, stuck out of my car. But that's not because of the wheelchair. That's because your back is too big. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I mean, for me, yes, that's my back is too big. But like our mutual friend, uh, Steph, like she needs it for her ramp, for her power chair, for to get her out of her car. So like she, she, she's stuck in her car without those, without those spots. So I would say there's, in my personal opinion, no reason for anyone that is able-bodied to utilize those spots unless they have someone who needs it with them. Okay, that's cool. I, that wasn't my question, right? So I think anyone listening knows that you're a dick if you park in a handicapped spot, period. Don't listen to my podcast anymore if you do that. But the question became (laughs) this. Here was my question. What about bathroom stalls? What's the rule there? Um, My feeling on bathroom stalls is if the rest of them are taken up, go for it. Okay, cool. And, and, and if you're, if you're, if you're dropping a twosie, and I mean, I, I don't see a huge deal with it. The only time I get upset about it is when someone goes into the handicapped stall to pee when there's other urinals and other bathrooms go to the bathroom, like go pee in, you're using the biggest stall right. that, that I require just to go pee. That's where I think I start getting a little, uh, little, um, fired up, I guess. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. So if I have Chipotle, it's running through me. You're okay with me taking, like, I need some space, dude. Cause this is going to get nasty. Take the handicap stall. Hey, hey, man! If you if you need if you need that extra space to hang hang on and bunker down, go for it. <laughs> well, and I asked because I was in a, I was in the Atlanta airport on a layover, and all the stalls were taken. I was in a regular like typical stall, but some, the handicapped one was taken, and somebody was waiting. You know, and and I asked him. I said, "Do you want to use this one?" Because it was open, and he was like, "No, I'm waiting for the handicapped one." I was like, "All yeah. right," and and then I was in it. You know, I was pooping. But I hear the guy get out, and they got into an altercation because he was in the handicap one. So see, that's I didn't I don't know. know. I, don't get, I don't get that. I used to get a little bit more fired up about it, but um, I've come to realize, man, like everyone's just in there to go to the bathroom, and and if you get like I used to get really upset with parking and stuff like that, and start like altercations or arguments all the time, and I just realize it, it ends up being a teachable moment, so I may be able to say something a little bit nicer. Rather than be like, hey, you dick, don't park, don't park in those spots or don't use that stall. It's usually like, hey, man, just so you know, like, I really need this spot. So next time, think about that before you, before you use it. I do remember you. I don't remember if it was you telling me or it was online. You got into a pretty heated one about the parking spot, right? Oh, I've gotten into a bunch of really heated ones about parking spots. Yeah. Yeah. I've had people spit at me. I've had someone try to hit me with their car. You had someone uh, spit at you? Yeah. Yeah. I had someone spit at me. What happens um, in that scenario when you spit at Kevin Ogar? 
I mean, I was in my car. He was, so he actually, he spit at me, but he was on the other side of his car. And so it just landed on his own windshield. So I just laughed at him. I've never um, been mad enough that I spit. Like that's not my go-to reaction to spit. Well, and if you're going to spit, at least be close enough to land it. Like you were, you were a full super, like he had a, a, like an SUV. He was on the other side of his hood from his SUV. You're not making that distance. <laughs> so you, you just, you just, you spit on your own car. Good job. Yeah. Know your limitations. You spit at me. You miss me. You hit your own car. So I posted on Facebook who has questions for you. Some funny ones. Obviously mm-hmm. Joe Westerlin, a good friend of ours. Joe is one of yeah. the funniest dudes around, but Absolutely. My man, uh, Sean from Active Life, who will be on the podcast mm-hmm. coming up soon, he said, what would you be extremely excited to talk about today? Um, what would excite Kevin Ogar? You know, the things I get fired up most about is, um, is the adaptive uh, CrossFit movement. And then, you know, my, my nonprofit, The Revelry Project. Those two things are things that you can get me, like, just going off about. Because like, I, I think they're... I think I got into coaching like most people got into coaching to try to make a difference in people's lives. And I feel like I found the population that I, uh, that, um, that I was meant to work with. So I, uh, the Revely project works with, um, veterans who have mood disorders and physical disabilities. And then the adaptive courses, obviously for anyone with any kind of, um, impairment that, that needs to be adapted around through CrossFit. And I, and I get really spun up and passionate about, about those two things. And, um, most of my friends would probably tell you that I, I probably get a little too passionate and a little bit too spun up about it and go off on, um, massive rants. When no, it comes I, don't, to some stuff like that. I don't think it's possible. I mean, this, this podcast best hour of their day is all about coaching. So, you know, yeah. there's no such thing as being too passionate. You are who you are because of that. You know, the documentary about your journey to become part of the seminar crew, you mm-hmm. funny story. I was like, Roz, this, you know, came out, almost two years ago, right? It was on back, yeah. I think it was in the journal back then. And I was like, Roz, we're watching this documentary on Kevin. She's like, I don't really care about that. <laughs> like, and it was like, cause she just thought it was like about coaching. She had no idea. Yeah. Right. And I was like, no, we're watching, you know, I was like, just let's start it. Five minutes in she's hooked. So <laughs> where, where, where can people find that these days? Is it just out there? Um, it is on, I think it's still in the journal. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I know it's on um, iTunes and Amazon. Cool. So definitely. you can get it iTunes and Amazon. Yeah, definitely check that out if you haven't seen it. Cause since doing this podcast, I have so many people reaching out. Like I want to be on the seminar crew. What's it like? That's exactly what it's like. It, oh. it made no difference, you know, wheelchair or not. It's yeah. a daunting task. I would almost say you had an easier journey than I did when it came to interning on staff. Dude, that, that was one of the most brutal things I've, I've gone through. Like that was, that was tough, man. And, uh, the like crazy thing for me is that I've, I've known a lot of the guys who were my, my flows and who were critiquing me for, for many, many years. And, um, I, I would say getting on staff was probably one of the hardest things I've, I've been able to accomplish. Like that was, that was rough. I agree. I tell people, people ask me, you know, what's your greatest accomplishment? That's very quickly one of the top three that I, that I come up with, but let's, let's talk about the adaptive seminar. You know, you're on the level one crew, but Mm -hmm. I've not had the opportunity to do it. Everybody that I talk to that's done it is like, you have to do this. So our friend Alec founded it. Alec also an adaptive athlete. Um, He's got an injury with his lower leg, you know, from also being, uh, from being in the military, right? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Navy, Navy accident, the pi- piracy boarding, actually. Yeah, I mean, his leg, it looks kind of funky because you can, like, see every tendon and ligament, but he's still way fitter than I am. Um, yeah. He, so, he looks like if you if you took, like, um, uh, Henry Cavill's body and, like, Christopher Reeve's head and you smashed them together, like, he, he generally just looks like Superman. Yeah, it's, like, almost disturbing how good-looking and fit he is. Don't tell him I yeah, said it's, it's aggravating, really. <laughs> Great dude, though. Check him out yeah. um, and, and check. So, so let's talk about the adaptive seminar. People listening, you know, maybe they've taken it, maybe they haven't. What would be your one-minute elevator pitch as to why any CrossFit coach would benefit from it? Well, here, here's what we're doing with the adaptive course is, is we're um, – eliminating any kind of barriers for anyone to walk, roll, or hobble into your gym. It doesn't matter if it's a permanent impairment, something they're going to be dealing with their whole life, or like a temporary impairment, like a a ACL reconstruction or a a broken ankle. Like you want them to continue to train. A sedentary lifestyle, regardless of if it's temporary or or, um, permanent, is going to kill you. Um, And so what we do at the course is give you some methods and some um, guidelines and kind of uh, create a, a mental map on how to how to adapt things for any adapt movements and workouts for anyone that comes into your door. So it's not just like wheelchair athletes or um, uh, loss of limb athletes. It could be the guy who broke his ankle or the girl who hurt his shoulder or you know um, heck even really bad tears on your hands. You're gonna have to adapt for it, and so you want to kind of be able to maintain the stimulus of the workout for the day. Um, and that's what we're going to teach you at the course is how to maintain that stimulus for the workout. So you can make sure it's inclusive. Um, awesome. I think I was just gonna say, I think a lot of people come to the course thinking that we're going to teach them how to like create their own adaptive class or like this adaptive setup or like, um, where their adaptive athletes are separate from their, their able-bodied athletes. And, what we actually end up doing is teaching people how to be inclusive. CrossFit's always been inclusive. The power of CrossFit is the community. And, and so we end up teaching at the course um, not only how to adapt, but also how to include. So it sounds like it's a really in-depth, I mean, a lot about scaling as well, right? Because that's I've always said to people, look, you do CrossFit, you're going to get tweaks and banged up, right? It's mm-hmm. I don't think it's dangerous. I've been doing it over 13 years, but you're going to, you know, rip your hand, you're going to tweak your shoulder. And to me, it's like, once you've done that, but you continue to come in, that's a sign that you're a true CrossFitter, right? It's very easy every time. If I only trained on the days I felt good, I would never train. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and what we end up teaching is just like some, some, also some, uh, um, some verbiage, like how, how to talk to adaptive athletes. Like, um, we, we teach that uh, scaling and adapting aren't necessarily the same thing. Like you're going to use the same principles, you're going to use the same methods, um, but but scaling is going to be based off of uh, you know physical and uh, uh, psychological tolerances, where adapting um, is going to be based off of physical limitations due to an impairment. And so it's it's small little verbiage differences, um, but I, I think to uh, an adaptive athlete that makes a huge difference because. Um, for me, um, being a, a paraplegic, if I came in and always thought that no matter what I did, I was scaling, I mean, it would take a psychological toll on whether or not I wanted to be there. But if I'm just adapting and I get my own RX and I have an RX for the day and, 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 and that kind of stuff, it, it makes it, um, 
that's where you start getting into the psychology of coaching, which is a, a fun little hop, skip, and a jump into, into what we do. That's really cool because I was messing up, basically. I was calling it scaling when it's adapting. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's, like I said, same principle, same methodologies. It just um, it changes how the athlete gets to see themselves, and, and it creates a more positive image in the athlete's mind to call it adapting than, the, than to always call them a scaled athlete. So we have, um, like in my gym, we'll have like a, a, a seated RX for today's workout or a um, neurological RX for today's workout because we do have a lot of um, TBIs and um, uh, CP athletes that come into the gym. And so we want to give them that, that goal that, um, you know, like coach, you always said, people will die for points on a whiteboard. We want to give them the chance to get those points. Um, and always calling it scaling or never allowing them to have that RX kind of takes that chance away from them. So I'm going to just ask you some questions. Some of them may be ignorant. I don't know, but people listening, yeah, go I'm, for it. I'm coming from the same you know position as you. I don't know enough about it. As soon as I get a weekend off, I'm going to take this seminar. I saw Becky Harsh, our good yeah. friend took it, and Becky motivates me. So Becky, if you're listening, I was excited to see you do that. So let's let's go. First question would be simply, it seems like there's a shit ton of different injuries, things you're trying to mm -hmm. adapt for. How do yeah. you how do you learn all of those? How do I know, you know, Kevin needs this versus Alec needs this versus Steph needs that, Stouty needs this, like how do you learn five different people? For the same, let's and let's. How about we go? Would it be easier to have one workout that we talk about? I mean, it it all like and so what we kind of teach at the course is, is that it's not um, you're not going to know every impairment that comes in, and you can't because uh, the big thing is if you have um, and, I, and I talk about paraplegics because um, it's you know I am one, so I, I'm a what's called a T11 paraplegic. I, I know I have another girl that comes to my gym. She's a T11 paraplegic. So we have the we have the same injury, we have the same impairment, but it presents differently. So you can't just um, memorize impairments and then and then uh, adapt for them. It's not like a it's not like an if A then B. It's um, like it literally it's like if A then it could be B C D or F. You just need to figure out how to maintain the stimulus best for that day. So one one of the things I think was really cool about the the uh, the course is that we actually start talking about how to like really get to know your athletes. Um, understanding why you do certain things. You have to understand the why behind the workouts that you're doing. And, and once you do that, trying to um, adapt a workout becomes a little bit easier. So, I mean, it's a simple, like we talk about um, um, like, uh, Oh, uh, there's like the underlying themes of uh, like fun, of, uh, functional movements. Um, and you can try to tease those out of movements to create different movements that don't look the same. There is task accomplishment. What are you really trying to accomplish with this movement in the real world? There's like, um, um, like, like motor patterns like that. Like, are you trying to mimic the motor pattern or are you trying to mimic, mimic the stimulus? And if, if you're, if you're looking at it from a sense of, um, I have this impairment I don't know much about. It's one, ask questions. Two, understand why you're doing um, certain movements in the workout and what you're trying to get out of the workout and then try to keep that as similar as possible. Well, I think one thing you really hit on is for those listening and for me, it is sometimes hard to, I think we live in this like PC world and like we're worried about offending people, but it's more offensive probably. I'm at, you know, I should be asking this. Is it more offensive 
for a coach not to ask these questions than it is to like be like, I don't know what to say. Um, no, just ask the questions. That's that's all you really got to do is ask the questions. Right. So um, fine. You you stroll into my box and and, I, and I've done that. I don't know if it's just because I don't have a filter or not, but I'll you know somebody has wheeled in and I'll be like, what can you do? And I, I guess a great example was I was on the Watt on the Waves with our buddy Austin, and mm-hmm. I was coaching a class with Pat Belner. There's like 200 people in there. And I see a guy in a wheelchair kind of like doing like the puppy dog. Like I could tell he wanted to be involved. Never yeah. met him. Class is going. I'm like, hey, dude, I want you to do this. And he was, I was like, what can you do? We were doing some shoulder overhead. I handed him dumbbells and I was like, press these things until you can't. He, yeah. I mean, we were both like in tears by the end. I put something up at one point on social media because it was just a great you know, moment to be around and, and really just get to involve someone like that. I always tell people when we're talking about like adaptive athletes, it's as simple as like, be honest, be genuine. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing. So if you have a question, ask it. And, and in all honesty, if you, if you ask a question and from a, a genuinely caring and honest place and that person gets upset with you, that has, that says more about that person than it does about you. Um, and I get sometimes these these impairments and these injuries can come with like a lot of emotional baggage and emotional trauma. But if you're trying to help someone and you're being genuine and, and, and you're really asking a question because you care and that person gets super upset with you, no matter what you would have said to that person, they were going to get upset. They wanted to be upset. They're, they're looking to get upset. And so there's not much you could have done in the long run. So I think a lot of people shy away from adaptive athletes because they're like, oh, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to say the wrong thing thing i don't want to do the wrong thing for him but for one we're not porcelain like we're not going to shatter like something's already tried to kill us and failed you know and 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 two like if they get offended by someone trying to be nice to them then like having having an injury like this doesn't give you a a green light to be an asshole like and that's what they're being they're being an asshole that was my favorite you know there's a great movie murder ball have you seen it and i remember it they say about the, I forget the main character's name. At one point they were like, he was an asshole, asshole before he was in the wheelchair. He's an asshole now. Like it doesn't matter, right? Like if you're an asshole, it doesn't matter whether you're sitting or standing, but you're right. And I think that's something, if you're listening, whether you're going to coach more adaptive athletes or just somebody walks into your box and they need, they need that adaptation, ask questions. Like you just said, be honest, be genuine. Uh, Another Mm -hmm. question I would have is, because of this, like, you know, so say we're doing, I don't know, I'm just going to come up with a workout, grace, right? 30 clean and jerks for time. Typically it's 135 and 95. Like that's Coach Glassman's mm-hmm. standard as RX. Adapting it is one thing. How do you know where to place that RX based on different impairments? Impairments, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like programming anything else for your gym, like know your athletes and know what, know what their RX should be. Know the intent of what that 135 is supposed to feel like in the workout. Like that workout's supposed to be fast. It's supposed to be dirty. It's supposed to be like, you know, what's, what's the world record on that? Like one minute, 59 yeah, like, seconds or something like that. Something yeah, crazy. Damn, I mean, damn barely. Yeah. Doing something crazy. But on average, it's like five, five minutes, like three to five minutes is what we're kind of looking for there. And so, so know, know that and then try to create an RX that you think the uh, you know program for the best scale for the rest type of thing. If you have seated athletes in your gym, program it for the best and let the let the rest scale so they have something to shoot for. So you need to like for example, 
if you're you've done grace correct mm-hmm. in a wheelchair yep what way you take that from the ground um i've done it multiple ways but yeah if i'm going to do it um like my my rx version i'm going to go from the ground i would have no idea okay like you said i get it a great like my grace is maybe like my best is just under three minutes right so mm-hmm. I wouldn't know where to place that RX weight though, doing it in a wheelchair. How do I um, learn that? Questions and working with your athletes, like start, start lighter than you think. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with scaling, like scale more, more often. There's nothing wrong with scaling more, allowing them to sprint and crush it. And then, and then going on from there. Um, I know I've done it before where I've gone too heavy. Um, the first couple of times I did it cause I was trying to, you know, be macho, be a man, like try to, keep up that that heavier weight and it just doesn't maintain the stimulus so i'd rather see people over scale than under scale so what would that mean for you we're doing grace today what's kevin ogar doing uh i think i typically do it at 95 so 95 but you're pulling that barbell how do you pull the barbell from, from the ground without tipping over and i don't mean that in um, a, no you know, that's a great question like that's one of the things we talk about is is, is wheelchair awareness and wheelchair anatomy basically at the course um i'll, I'll either have someone spot me or I'll back up to something so I can't flip over either forwards or backwards. It'll prevent me from backing. Like I'll back up to the standard on the pull-up rig and that'll allow me not to flip forward or back. Right. Because basically you need something to block the bottom of the chair so you can lean forward and pull mm-hmm. that bar up. Right. Yeah. And I'll usually use like a belt or a lap mat or something like that to like strap myself into my chair so I can't fall out of the chair. And I'll go from floor to lap, from lap to shoulder, shoulder to overhead. Have you fallen out of a chair mid-workout? Oh, Yeah. Is that, I, is that really I funny mean, for everybody I, around? I, like, I, I would probably laugh. I'm not going to lie. I'd be like, Kevin, get oh, back. I, I hope you would. <laughs> I hope you would. It's, it's actually really funny. Um, so, I mean, I, I laugh. Other people around me don't laugh so much. So, Well, so what do you do in that? What, am I supposed to help you back in the chair? Um, no. Like, for me, no. I, I transfer just, just fine and dandy. Like, I'm, I'm okay transferring um from the floor to the right chair by myself um but but if i fell but for for others like if they ask help them if they don't ask let them struggle a little bit (laughs) i mean i was just thinking about like if i fell and somebody reached out put a hand i would grab it and be like pull me up so it's like one of the and again i hope people listening are not like jay's a dick i'm truly the reason i love kevin is because you can ask him these things as well as steph who's going to be on the podcast stouty and logan are coming on the podcast so you know, I think, um, it's, it's great to learn from people like you. What's, um, what's been the coolest adapting you've done for someone? Like, can you think of a specific workout where you adapted and you were like, that was sweet? Um, I don't know. The ones that stick inside my head are the ones that, that, that like, I don't know if the workout was the sweetest thing or like just the reaction for the person was really cool. Like people thinking that they couldn't like go overhead or transfer from the floor or, you know, um, pick something up. Um, it just, I don't know if there's one specific workout. Cause I think I, I, I focus more on the person's reaction and how excited they are with things than I, I do with like any specific workout. I don't know. Cause I think it's just become so commonplace for me to have these adaptive workouts. I don't, I think, um, it'd be hard to pick just one. Have you based guys- on just a workout of itself? Have you gotten just really good at adapting workouts? Does that just come with like any coaching and, and 
no different than scaling? Like scaling, you just learn how to preserve the stimulus. Is is adapting similar? Very, very similar. And like the more you do it, the the more like you have to pull from. The easier it is to think about things. The more you understand why you're doing certain stuff, and um, it just becomes a ton easier. At the average adaptive seminar, are there more people that are adaptive athletes or non-adaptive? Mostly coaches. I, I would say, I would say probably like 70, 75% like coaches. And then maybe like 25% um, like athletes. Um, and it, and there's a mixture of like permanently impaired, temporarily impaired and um, like adaptive athletes. It's, it's, pretty good mix but i think most of it and this is what i love about the crossfit community is that it's it's mostly people who just want to help a population that they see that is underserved and i think that really speaks to how awesome the crossfit community is yeah i think you know having coached for nearly 15 years i love seeing people get fit and changing their life but you know seeing people that work out and really making that impact be it someone that didn't think they could or you know, even an able-bodied person that you see, like their demeanor change because they have more confidence. Like that's what drives me to continue being the best that I can be as a coach. So I'm sure this is mm-hmm. no different. It sounds like, you know, if you're a boxer owner or just a regular CrossFit coach, you need to take this because if you're a box owner, you're just, I mean, you're going to open your business up to a whole new population that probably feel either they can't work out and certainly aren't going to a you know, another gym. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is. And, it, and what we're seeing is this huge explosion of, of people and athletes who have been told time and time again in their lives, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do this. No, you can't do this. And, and what CrossFit's doing, what CrossFit has historically done for everyone is to say, yeah, like, yeah, you can. It may look different. It may be different. You may not be at this quote unquote elite level, but like you can do this stuff. And and now we're seeing this huge influx of adaptive athletes who are loving things like loving this stuff and just really getting down to it and becoming very passionate and, and changing their lives. Like I've had people come into my gym who are 10, 15 years in a chair who can never get off the ground by themselves, who are now getting off the grounds by themselves. I have quadriplegics, people who have three or more impaired limbs coming into my gym who are told that they would never do certain things, but now they are. I just had a quadriplegic, um, front squat, uh, 60 pounds of chains yesterday. So what does that look like? When you say, you know, you have a quadriplegic front squat immediately, like, I'm like, what is, what is that? So, so everyone assumes like, I guess I should explain like, so everyone assumes quadriplegics are all like, um, like look like Christopher Reeves did, which technically he he was, I mean, quad. Yeah. But, um, there are, there are, there are walking quads. I mean, you can have loss of, of motor control, but you can also have, um, uh, gross motor control, but no fine motor control. So this one in particular, the guy named Travis, um, he can walk around, he can stand up. He just like his muscles lock up, they get super tight. He doesn't have any fine motor control. So for him, it just looks like we have a, like a big cushy pad that I throw a chain, like a, 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 a strap through and then hang chains from it. And so now he can squat down and stand back up and work on a standing strength, um, through chains. Like we're just, we're just squatting and deadlifting and pressing. We're doing functional movements with them. And, he's getting to do things that his PTs and doctors were um, so very sure that he would never do. And it's, they're like, well, what are you doing? Like, this is insane. Like we've never seen someone progress like this. And we're like, yeah, cause we're, we're, we're using functional movements. We're making them functional humans. The intent of movement matters. 
how far away do you think we are from doctors realizing they're wrong about it? I mean, I'm not here to bash doctors, right? But I'm saying how far are we from like this impact of the adaptive push in CrossFit is like doctors are going to be like, go to CrossFit. I mean, I already have Craig Hospital sends people my way all the time. So you're sorry, sorry, sorry to change. You're unique because that's the hospital you spent your time in, right? You you went there, you live nearby. So they know you, they see it. But how do we get Craig Hospital to tell, you know, a hospital in California to tell Washington to tell, you know, Minnesota? Like how how far away are we? You're you're closer to this than I am. I mean, I, I think I think it could happen now. I've seen a lot of people have it happening now. I know Alec works with the naval base and uh, used to work with the naval base, uh, naval hospital, sorry. Um and so it, it, even for me, all I had to do was, was find one person and train them and then go talk to their PTs and talk to their doctors and show them what I'm doing and let them know I'm not trying to do this for the sake of just doing this. I really think this could improve their lives. And I have a conversation with them and just as simply as like, hey, listen, like I'm going to train them this way because I think it's going to be good for them. You're the one that's tracking their health numbers. You let me know if their health numbers go in the wrong direction. I'll change what I'm doing. But this is really working. I think you should see it. And so I invite them into my gym. I let them watch. I let them ask questions. I, you know, I tell them what I know. I tell them what I don't know. And then I think even more so, I ask them questions. Hey, how can I do this better? What should I be looking for? How can you help me with this? And once they learned that it was a relationship back and forth and not like a, a like, I'm trying to prove that you're an idiot, they're way more receptive. Because I think that's what it comes down to. I think... Be, um, creating a tactful situation, a tactful conversation is very important. And I think with us CrossFitters, we're this fringe movement where these, um, um, we're not mainstream. Sometimes, sometimes we forget that we can use the mainstream to our benefit and really, really reach out and talk to these guys in a tactful manner where we're not just trying to beat them down and show that they're idiots. It's funny. It sounds just like what you were saying earlier. It's like, if you're honest and genuine with people, you'll get good responses. Turn the That's a be patient, be honest, be genuine. That's like those three things that get you really far away in life. <laughs> yeah. It turns out not being an asshole is a good way to go about life. Um, I mean, I think some people would still call me an asshole, but they would call me a genuine one. <laughs> I like that. Do you, this day though, are you finding more adaptive athletes are doing CrossFit for the first time, like post injury or yeah. are they versus, you know, someone like you that was already doing CrossFit? I mean, I have a few that were doing CrossFit before, but I think most of them are finding it after. I think, I think a lot of them are finding it after. I mean, the, the adaptive community is a pretty small community, and, and we like to bring our own in, and we like to show them what we've, what we've learned. It's like, remember, you remember CrossFit like 10 years ago? Like, if you were a CrossFitter, you were trying to, like, drag everyone and their mother with you to try this stuff out. And the same thing's happened with the adaptive community. You have one guy in a wheelchair who loves it and learns how to floor transfer. Well, you're going to get 10 more coming in because they want to know what he's doing differently, that he can do more than they can now. Yeah, it was like in I mean, that movie, in, in Murder Ball, where they like you know somebody got into an accident, they put him in the you know the rugby wheelchair just to show him that hey, your life isn't over. You're still going to be in you know physical mm-hmm. competition. That that's that's cool from um from an owner's or coach's perspective. You know, having you know say they're not an adaptive athlete. How do you? What's the conversation like though? You know, so and so was a crossfitter. They do have an injury. They come back. That's got to be a challenge mentally now to, you know, it's like I talked to a pregnant woman and it's like, you're not the same that you were nine months ago. What's that conversation look like? 
I, I think it ends up, I mean, this is coming from me. Like this is what I kind of went through. Like I, I went from being a regional competitor and, and pretty good at this stuff to like not being able to squat, not knowing how to deadlift, not knowing if I was going to be able to do Fran or grace or something like that again. And then like mentally it was hard. And I had to, um, I had to, I had to shift my mindset of why I was doing what I was doing. And I, I will liken it a lot to what CrossFit is doing right now between the games and, and everything else. Like, you have to shift it from from you have to shift your mindset from like I'm going to be the most elite athlete and and like the, ba- the biggest badass in the room. Like I am doing this so I can function in the real world. I'm uh, th- this this what I'm doing in CrossFit is here so that what matters in the real world becomes easy to me. So I'm I am stronger from CrossFit, which allows me to transfer easier, which means that I don't have to worry about getting out, in and out of my car. I don't have to worry about getting in and out of my bed. I don't have to worry about getting on and off the toilet. Like these are things that like um, become high priority for adaptive athletes, especially uh, paraplegics. And I think the conversation becomes like, you got to know that why are you doing this? Are you doing this because you, because this is what you used to do? Or are you doing this because you know, this is going to improve your life. And, it, and if you're doing it because it's just because what, what you used to do, we need to figure out how to change that mindset because you're going to fail. If you're doing it because this will improve your day-to-day life, this will improve your quality of life, then then we can have an honest conversation. I think you're going, and I think that athlete's going to be really uh, successful. So, I believe this would still be kind of under the umbrella. But when we talk now, the difference between physical and we look at something like the Reveille project, how do we how do we learn to adapt for that? That's a completely different beast, right? Yeah. And so we, we do have some adaptive athletes going through the Reveille project because we do service um, uh, veterans who have uh, physical disabilities. But with mood disorders, with like depression, insomnia, anxiety, uh, PTSD and, and the like, like it, that comes into the psychology of coaching. And um, that's that's less adapting. And that's more what I call fear management. Um, like uh, I think I think Tony Blower's spear seminar they offers through CrossFit is is and must take for coaches, not because I think you need to learn how to punch someone in the face, but because he talks about how to mitigate and manage fear and, and, um, mitigating and managing fear, mitigating or managing your thoughts becomes a huge, huge benefit, um, to coaching and coaching people who have mood disorders. I mean, the, just earlier today, I had a girl who, um, you know, I, I know struggles with depression and, um, she lets herself get afraid of things and she was terrified to overhead squat. And I just had to be like, Hey, what are you so afraid of? What happens if you fail, you drop the bar. That's not that big of a deal. So stop focusing on it and start focusing on what you need to do to actually make the overhead squat, um, a successful lift. And she went from not being able to overhead squat 55 pounds to doing it, uh, 15 times in the workout, just, just from like repurposing the way her brain lo- is looking at it. Um, and I think that, I think that's what ends up being the biggest thing for a lot of these mood disorder veterans that in the community, that's, that's the biggest part, I think. Well, I have two questions about that. One, do you think as a coach being an adaptive athlete, you're given more leeway there? In other words, you're coaching this woman who has a mood disorder, Jay, you know, myself, I walk up to her, does she like, you have no idea what I'm going through versus Kevin. And she's like, okay, he's an adaptive athlete. He might understand me a bit better. Well, I, I don't 
I don't think so. And, and, and the reason why is because I'm not actually bringing up the whole, like, I'm not talking about their mood disorder. I'm just talking about what they're thinking about. And that's just knowing your athletes. Like, I mean, you've been coaching for a while. You can look at an athlete and tell that they're overthinking. You can look at an athlete and tell that they're afraid of a movement. You can look at an athlete and tell that they're hesitant. And when you see that, that's when you jump in and address those things. You don't even have to talk about them, like depression or insomnia or PTSD or anxiety. You talk about the movements and you talk about what they're thinking about. And like, you know, you'll, you'll have athletes doing way better. Like you'll have athletes break down and cry because you just had a breakthrough in their real life just because you fixed their overhead squat. And it's, it's, um, the psychology of coaching. I think it's, um, and I think the psychology of coaching is more or less just the psychology of fear management and fear mitigation. Yeah. And so you're saying that doesn't change regardless if you're able-bodied, adaptive mood disorder, Mm -hmm. you just need to learn how to deal with people. How do you, so someone listening, what are your tips for that? That's hard. I mean, I tell people that all the time. It's like coaching one person after your level two, then jumping into that group. That's a different beast, right? So what are some of your tips and tricks to develop as a coach from that perspective now, not just looking at movement, but being able to get into someone's psyche and understand where they're coming from. I, th- I think the biggest tip I could have, like, and I don't know if you can even teach this. Um, you, ha- you have to care. I mean, if you care about people and you care, like I-, I liken it to this, like if you're dating someone, you know, even if they, or you should know at least if they're, um, if they're in a bad mood, you recognize it. You, you learn to read their body language. You learn to read their facial expressions. You should know your athletes like that. And, and I think that comes from a getting comfortable as a coach and cueing but be also just um, caring about the people that walk in your door. You're, you're not coaching to show that you're be- the best coach or have the most cues or have the, um, you know, uh, proverbial biggest dick in the room. You're, you're there because you care about the people who come into your gym. I think, um, I think that's, I don't know if you can teach that. I think that's something that like, if you come into coaching, you kind of have to have. And I, I think the, the part of recognizing people's body language and fears and emotions comes comes with practice but you the the care has to be there initially i I can teach anyone the the textbook of the level one the textbook of the level one is so awesome and so great and teach you a lot of things and you can memorize the living shit out of it and still be a horrible coach yeah you know i've said it on numerous podcasts so far it's like i can teach anyone how to coach the squat i can't teach you how to care or not be an asshole that that's it i mean that's the bottom line where is where is this going? What's the goal? What the you know whether it's the Reveille project, and 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 I do want to ask how people can support that. But but where is the adaptive community going in CrossFit? I think a lot of a lot of people are pushing the adaptive community to go towards competition. I um I'm not really I love it. I love competition. I'm a competitive person. Um, to be, to be kind of frank, like it's cool. It's awesome. And it's great. Um, I care less about that. Not that I don't care about it. I care less about that than I care about the community that it, that it, um, brings it. It's awesome to compete, but what's really cool about the competitions that we've been putting on and we've been seeing is that now you have this group of people who have the shared, um, image of themselves of not broken. We're not broken. And then it's a shared image. And then now you're finding other people who can foster that, and I, I, what I really truly believe is going to happen is that you're going to, this, what I want to happen, what I hope happens, what I believe will happen is that adaptive athletes will become so commonplace that, that 
there will be no longer a need for me to have the adaptive seminar running. You want to put- just become, I want to put myself out of business. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. You want to put yourself out of business, right? You know, and you think about it to some extent, you don't need it. Right. And I, you know, and I, and I, I, you know, I think we do, but it's like the level one itself is so good, but I, I like what you said earlier and I hope people take that. It's like, there's a difference between scaling and adapting and that's not happening at the level one just yet. We scale for injury every day. We scale for fitness levels, but I do, I do see where you're going. I think we'll always need one because people like me need to learn, but I get what you're saying with that. Oh, you know, the goal being, we don't need it because it's just so yeah. commonplace. I love it. I, I just, I think that would be the best. Um, if, if somebody thing, wants thing. to get out into their community, how can they go about that? How can they, how can I let adaptive people know in no, Naples, they can come to CrossFit? I mean, what we, what we teach at the, um, the, the seminar, I think is the best way. And it comes from a article that I read, um, from coach, um, called scaling professional training is that you just find one, you find one adaptive athlete. The first adaptive athlete that came in my gym, I was like, I'm training you for free. Um, I'm figuring this out as much as you are when we figure it out and we want to continue on with this, like I'll train you free for a month. And then after that, we'll figure out a pricing, but I just want to train. And I trained him and he brought my second and I trained both of those guys and they brought my third, but I made sure when they came in, they got a hundred percent of my attention at all times and made sure that they knew that like they were, they were mine. They were, I cared about them basically. And they brought me the adaptive athletes. I never, I've never actually advertised my gym as the adaptive gym in Denver. I've never advertised like we we're the home for any adaptive training needed. All, all I did was when they come into my doors, I made sure they knew I cared about them. And was that in a small, when you say you gave them a hundred percent, they were one-on-one or two-on-one or were they hopping into classes? Well, at first, just like all my other athletes that come to my gym, able-bodied or adaptive, they're, they're one-on-one. All of our intro programs, our fundamentals, whatever you want to call it is one-on-one because I want a hundred percent of the attention going into that athlete. Um, the first few times they come in and then from there we start getting them into classes. But even when they started jumping into classes, specifically our adaptive athletes, I would make sure I was around. I would be there. I'd be kind of like their, their safety blanket or their, 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 um, their lifeline, so to speak. And slowly I just peeled away and then they end up jumping into classes with everyone else. And it's just commonplace now. So I'm say I'm walking down the street in Naples and I see someone in a wheelchair. How does that conversation go? It's as simple as like, uh, Hey man, do you like, we, we've talked about before is like, Hey man, do you train anywhere? Um, I'm starting an adaptive program at my gym. Would you mind coming and checking it out? Um, maybe try it for free for a month and, and see what you think and give me some feedback so I can make it better and to see if you get someone to bite on it. So it looks no different than me walking down the street and asking any dude to do CrossFit is what you're saying. Nope. Exact same. Um, I, t- last thing about the adaptive seminar that I want to ask a couple questions about you and benching. What's a, what would somebody, you know, they've listened to this episode. I'm excited to do it, but somebody else is excited. They sign up. What, what do they expect? What, what comes with the adaptive seminar? Um, we go over like, um, how to talk to adaptive athletes. We go over, um, specific, um, uh, most common equipment you're going to see with adaptive athletes. We go over, um, 
uh, the principles of adaptive training, basically how, where, where the frame of mind should come from. And then we go over like practicals. We go over um, specific uh, adaptations and, and ways of thinking about adaptations for seated athletes, um, for athletes with uh, uh, lower extremity impairments, athletes with upper, upper extremity impairments. You get, a, you get thrown into a few different workouts, a couple different workouts where you get to experience being an adaptive athlete through simulations. Um, and then we, we talk about like onboarding and implementation, like bringing these athletes into your gym, how to do it, what's the best practices, how, how to like, like from the time they roll into your door to the time they jump into your classes, what we suggest. So they're going to get a few workouts and just like attending the level one or level two. Yep. Two workouts, one in, towards the beginning and then one at the end. Are they the same workouts? Are you allowed to divulge what they are? Um, they're different workouts. One, I'll, I can tell you what they're kind of about. One is just a, what we call a simulated impairment workout where you get to experience a workout or at least a little bit of a workout as each impairment group that we talk about. And then one is um, more experiencing um, life as a seated athlete and learning how to teach different techniques um, through progressions that we talk about in the course. So it sounds similar to your level one where the day one workout, you know, it's really all about, you know, learning intensity and, and going hard where day two is a little more about coaching. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, Alec is also on level one staff. And so, and so is, I mean, uh, uh, Mo McGurk actually helped us write the course too. And so all three of us are on level one staff. So we, we, we try to keep it pretty close and use that information. It's such good information. Why I try to re- re- rewrite the wheel when there's something out there that already does the job. Absolutely. And Mo's going to be on a coming podcast also talking about that as well as nutrition. Um, That's awesome. I know you weren't as excited to talk about this, but people want to know how much are you benching these days? Um, my competition best right now is like 182 kilos, so just under 400. Um, and then my touch and go best is right around like 425 or 430. Shit. That's a lot of weight. That's, is is this the best you've been? Is this the heaviest you've been benching now? Um, yeah, actually I bench now more, more now than I did with two legs. So, and I mean, even still, I know you've been through a lot of competitions. You're still improving your, your bench. It's still going up. Yeah, actually, because I, I, I cut at the beginning of this year, I cut down 30 pounds to get into a lower weight class. And so my strength kind of took a little bit of a hit, not much, thanks to my nutrition guy and, um, uh, and Jesse Burdick, um, who does my programming. Um, and, but I'm starting to build it back up. Well, so when's your next competition? Uh, it's in July. I'm supposed to go to Worlds in, in Kazakhstan, uh, July 10th. To try to qualify, to try to get a ranking for the world world standings to qualify for the Paralympics. When the next Paralympics is that come? What's it? Twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Yeah, that's right after the Olympics. They they the Paralympics, same venue, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, a week or like a week later, I think. So if you do well in, uh, you say Kazakhstan, and I think most people just think Borat. It's there's like yeah. a there's a pretty big organization there. It's a it's a great competition. I mean, it's supposed to be, I mean, last year was in, last time it was in Mexico city. Uh, this time it's in Kazakhstan. So it kind of moves around. Cool. And if, and if you do, what is doing well so enough to, hopefully it's pretty good. What does that mean? If, how do you know if you do well enough, you have to win? Uh, you have to be ranked. You have to have a ranking of top eight in the world, um, in your weight class in order to qualify for the Paralympics. And that will happen. And in Kazakhstan, if you do top eight, you go to the Paralympics. 
uh, as long as my standing doesn't change over the next year and a half. Yeah. Through other competitions. So it's, it fluctuates based on the competitions throughout the year. Is that your goal? Is that your focus right now when it comes to fitness? Um, you know, I'm doing it cause I love it. And I think it's something I, I can be good at. Um, my, my, I guess I should say my focus with my fitness is, um, more or less longevity. Um, I'm not going to sacrifice my longevity and my health to do it, to, to make the Paralympics, but I want to see how close I can come while still focusing on health and longevity. Is it strange for you to have kind of been put in this position of being the spokesperson for CrossFit and adaptive athletes? Yeah, it, 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 it's really strange for me. Um, you can talk to most people who, who know me on a personal level. I'm not, um, I'm not a center stage kind of guy. I, I would much rather be behind the scenes. And, um, uh, I've always said that the day that like, um, I can kind of fade into the background and let other people take the lead, I'd be very happy to do so, but I understand why I'm doing it now. Um, so it's, it's very strange for me. It's not, it's not a role I ever saw myself being in. Um, but, um, I'm happy to do it as long as it's helping people. That sounds like something Kevin Ogre would say. Let's um, <laughs> let me give you the questions I like to ask most people on the show. What's what's one book you'd recommend that every listener read? One book every listener should read. Um, one book every listener should read. You're talking to a huge nerd. I think if you can get your hands, if you're serious about fitness and nutrition, I think you need to get your hands on either some kind of an anatomy textbook or a biochemistry book. I mean, those are the basis of everything we do. And if you don't understand them, you don't understand what you're coaching. What about you? What kind of books do you enjoy? Anatomy and biochemistry textbooks <laughs> and then sci-fi fiction. So it's either, I'm either reading, um, I usually read like two or three books at a time. Uh, right now I'm reading two sci-fi fantasy and then, um, I'm listening to, um, the course load for um, a biochemistry class from, um, from some random college I found online. What do you say? Science fantasy, like game of Thrones type stuff. Yeah. Like Lord of the Ri like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. Um, I'm reading, uh, uh, like, um, Robert Jordan is a great writer. Uh, he wrote the wheel of time series. It's one of my favorite, uh, Brandon Sanderson's probably my favorite writer. He's writing like words of radiance, um, um, Aloe of law, stuff like that. Um, any kind of nerdy stuff where it's like sci-fi fantasy. I just love it and I dig into it. And then, um, it's either science or sci-fi fantasy. That's all I ever really read. Funny. I've, I've, you know, game of Thrones is on right now. I've not seen any episode. I can't get into that kind of stuff. Um, I'm going to say something that most people who think I'm a nerd would probably be really shocked. I don't think it's that good of a show. All right. Controversy on the Kevin Ogar episode. <laughs> I think, I think it's predictable. And I think I know like you don't have to watch the episodes to know exactly what happened. I'm going to finish watching it cause I'm six seasons, uh, six or seven seasons in now, but like I, I lost interest like around season five. Well, good thing. I'm not going to start it. Where can people support the Reveille project? Uh, the is our website. Um, we're online. We're starting to branch out into more States right now. We're in Colorado. We just, um, got hooked up with a gym up in Montana through Todd Whitman. Um, so www.therevelyproject.org, our social media, you can find us. We do a lot of work with other organizations like faith RX, um, the Phoenix barbells for boobs, Steve's club, um, 
uh, different organizations like that. We like to work with as many of them as possible. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. I know you have a very tight relationship with Barbells for Booze. If you watch that documentary we referred to earlier, you'll see why. Yeah. Where can people find Kevin Ogar? Um, I'm either at an airport, at my gym, or at my apartment. Those are the three places you can find me. But if you're talking social media or a grocery store, um, if you're looking for me online, um, it's just Kevin at Kevin Ogar. I'm on Instagram. I really don't. I have a Twitter account, I think, but I don't do anything with it. And then you can also find me on Facebook. Very, very cool, Kevin. It's been a pleasure. Was there anything I missed when it came to the adaptive seminar? Any, any last, you know, ditch effort? No, I think it was great. Cool. Like I said, you know, coming from a the perspective of I've never been, but I want to go. You definitely sold me on it. I mean, if if all you I and imagine. You're just going to be a better coach if you go. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think so. So I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for being on. And uh, thanks I'm for sure having we'll, me. I'm sure we'll chat beforehand, but if we don't, best of luck in Kazakhstan. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. Take a moment, head over to the Apple Podcast app or Spotify or Google or whatever you use and leave us a review. It really means a lot to us, and it's what allows us to spread the word. Also, share this with your friends, your family, your coworkers. Tell everybody at the box to listen to Best Hour of their day and let us know what we can do to provide you a better experience. Do you have topics you want us to talk about, people you want us to interview? We are here for you, the community. We're here to give back, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of best hour of their day.